Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. This is episode 118 with Charlie Miller. Charlie works at Denver Center for the Performing Arts as the curator for the Off Center series, as well as being an associate artistic director for DCPA. We get in depth about immersive theater, what's coming up next for Off Center, and it's just it's just a really fantastic conversation about having a passion and making a life in the theater. So, hey, enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Ring of Keys. Ring of Keys is a collective of queer women, trans, and gender non-performing artists working on and off stage in musical theater. Ring of Keys seeks to create a community for its members as well as serve as a hiring resource via our member directory for those looking to work with professional artists who self-identify as lesbian, bisexual, queer, femme, trans, non-binary, and the diversity of genders that queerness contains. Learn more at www.ringofkeys.org where you can also apply to be a key and be listed on their member directory. Thank you everyone who came out to see my MFA thesis performance of Transactions this past Sunday. Uh, it was amazing to see such a big crowd and it warmed my heart, y'all. If you want to see more of the amazing Ayla Sullivan, which of course you want to see more of their work, and you're listening to this before Sunday the 11th, you still have time to see their contest-winning play, We Are the Wake. I got to see it opening night last night at CU Boulder's Loft Theater. Ticketing link in the episode description. You can visit CU Presents and get your tickets. All right, folks, please enjoy episode 118 with Charlie Miller. to welcome Charlie Miller to the podcast. Welcome. Hello, thank you. So your official titles are Off-Center Curator and Associate Artistic Director for the DCPA Theater Company. Tell me about the history of Off-Center because to me that's one of the most exciting things about Colorado theater that we have that here for us. Wow, thank you. Well, um, Off-Center was created in 2010 by myself and Emily Tarquin. as we were mentored by our former boss, the uh, artistic director, Kent Thompson. And it was created to be a place where we could experiment with new theatrical ideas, uh, try out new ways of engaging audiences, and fundamentally, I think, reach a different audience for theater by creating different types of theater. And it has grown from a very small kind of research and development arm of the DCPA into a full-blown line of programming. And thanks to the enthusiasm of our audiences and some really incredible support from funders, we've been able to scale it up and now do um, four or five different large-scale projects every year that are geared to kind of thinking outside of the box Um, redefining what theater can be and what theatrical experiences um, we can bring to Denver and also um, to engaging audiences in new and exciting ways to give them a more active role in the experience. I know a lot of theaters are trying, you know, as an industry to reach a younger audience or folks who might not think they're invited to the table. What have been some of your biggest takeaways since Off Center happened in terms of engaging those audiences? That's a great question, and that's certainly what motivated the birth of Off Center. 
the DCPA was noticing that our subscribers were aging and that young people weren't attending the theater the way that our parents and grandparents do. I happened to be, and Emily happened to be, um, some of the younger members of the artistic team back then. And that's why we were put in charge of this initiative, because Kent really wanted this to be a project by young people for young people. Um, we have seen a lot of success and that really started with the assumption that we need to change up the content in order to reach a different audience. We have experimented with having social events after our main stage shows, and that has been successful, but it hasn't reached a broader audience. People who are less interested or um, tuned into theater with a capital T. And, and we actually had a focus group once where a millennial said, theater's a bad brand. And that was really Ooh. terrifying to us because <clears throat> that's our work um, and, and our art. But it really opened our eyes and helped us realize that if we want to reach a truly different and more adventurous audience, that we need to do different work. Um, and we couldn't just stage a traditional wit play in a fun way or have a cocktail party after and assume that new people will come. Right. Um, we also took a lot of inspiration from the quasi-cultural events that are happening around town that are drawing the type of audience that we wanted. So we were really inspired by Film on the Rocks and the Denver Cruisers and Tour de Fat and the Zombie Crawl and all these places where people were drinking and being social and dressing up and participating in cultural activities. And so we wanted to see how we could make theater more like that. And that's what we've set out to do. And eight years later, we're still doing it and figuring it out as we go. Excellent. Now, I know that you have a slate of really exciting projects coming up. Tell me about Remote Denver. So Remote Denver is our next big experiential show. Um, it's actually a, a project that was created in Berlin and has played in, I think, almost 20 different countries across the world. I believe Denver will be the fifth or sixth U.S. city to host it. And it's a headphone walking tour for an audience of 50. You gather together, you're given these headphones and a computer voice talks to you and it guides the group on a walking tour of the city. It is not stopping at all of the landmarks, but instead putting you in a story and getting you to think about the group that you're in and your city and kind of look at it all from a different lens. And as you go, this computer voice starts to become more and more human and gets you thinking about your own mortality and how people function in a city. And, and it's a really different and I think ultimately exciting and, and sort of moving experience and a way to, to see the city in a different way. <clears throat> Absolutely. So where can folks where can folks get more information? About uh, tickets that? haven't gone on sale yet because we're actually still finalizing all the locations on the tour. Um, it will go on sale in March and it will run from um, mid May through June. And uh, so you'll hear a lot more about it. All of this you can find out through the Denver Center website, denvercenter.org, or the specific off-center website, which is denveroffcenter.org. Fantastic. And then next up, you have Mixed Taste. 
Tell me all about this project. Mixed Taste is a lecture series that was created by Adam Lerner and the Museum of Contemporary Art. And it ran with them for 12 years. It has developed a real following. And we partnered with them last year to bring it to the Sewell Ballroom in the Performing Arts Complex. And we're happy to be bringing it back. Mixed Taste is an unconventional lecture series. It's dueling lectures on unrelated topics. Um, and we choose crazy topics that you have, some of which you've heard about, some of which you haven't. Um, we get an expert in that topic. The first person speaks on the first topic for 20 minutes. The second person speaks on the second topic for 20 minutes. They're not allowed to draw any connections between the two. And then in the, the last part, there's a Q&A with the audience where the audience is encouraged to draw connections between the two and anything can happen. Um, it's really, really fun. Last year, some of my favorites were money laundering and asparagus. Um, <laughs> probably the highlight was air traffic control and drag queen activism, well, which yeah. fe featured uh, a, an incredibly knowledgeable um, administrator from DIA and my favorite drag queen, Shirley Delta Blow. And Shirley <laughs> talked about the history of drag and the gay rights movement. And we found that there are a lot of connections between the two in the Q&A. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm all about mm -hmm. All Stars 3, which yep. has just started. And Amen. I think it connects to what you were saying earlier. I mean, in this cultural moment that we're in, some of the highest ratings of the series to date, you know, part of it is the fact that it's on VH1 now, but people are hungry for this sort of screw you, screw the system, subversive, express yourself art. And so it sounds like that's plugging into that zeitgeist a little bit. Yeah, well, and what, what's fun about Mixed Taste is that every lecture is totally different. And, you know, we try to feature topics that are quirky and interesting. Like last year we did giant flutes, um, which are like contrabass instruments. This guy brought a flute that was twice the size of me and played it for us and it's really really low um so so featuring kind of weird um weird topics that you may not know about but also shining lights on different topics and and mashing together different ideas and seeing what comes of it and sometimes it's silly and and entertaining and and interesting and sometimes it can be very profound i was gonna say the Hilarious and the profound. That's that's what entices me. Um, so what are the run dates for that series? Uh, that'll be every Wednesday in July and August this summer. And tickets go on sale in April, I believe. Fantastic. And then something I'm very much excited about, the microtheater initiative that's going to go up in the fall. Where did this come from? This came from Meredith Grundy, who's a Boulder-based artist who had attended a microtheater event in Mexico a year or so ago and was really inspired by it. Microtheater, for those who don't know, is a, a movement and a form that has gained some popularity internationally but hasn't really taken off in America yet. Um, the idea is that you have short plays performed for very small audiences and it's very intimate. There's often a fourth wall. It is not participatory or interactive usually, um, but it's just a different way to present plays. And so she pitched this idea to me and I loved it. And we saw it as an opportunity to engage a lot of really exciting local voices. And so we have put out a call for entries 
and the due date is March 5th. So if you're listening to this and are interested, <laughs> uh, it's not too late to apply. But we'll be selecting five pieces by local artists. They can be scripted or they can be performance pieces, like a dance piece is also totally acceptable and exciting. Um, we will choose five and perform them environmentally at Book Bar, which is a great book bar on like 44th and Tennyson. And in the evening, we will play all five pieces. An audience of 70 will see every piece over the course of the evening with some 15-minute breaks in between for drinks and tapas and conversation. <laughs> and it'll be a really fun way to, to see a bunch of different work. All of them will be loosely connected by the requirement that they reference literature in some way, and it's set in a bookstore, so <laughs> they will be performed and sort of acknowledging the space that they're in. But I'm really excited to see what kind of projects and stories come out of this call and who comes out of the, um, you know, comes out of the woodwork, as it were, to tell their stories and, and which ones become the most exciting paired together for an evening of microtheater. Microtheater! And so that goes up in the fall, correct? Yeah, it'll run like mid-October through mid-November. And we, Meredith is, you know, the artistic lead on this piece and we'll be directing at least one of them. And once we have selected all of the pieces, we will then figure out who the other collaborators should be. Um, we'll be hiring some additional directors likely, and then all local performers as well. So I'm really excited about that project. I think it's gonna be a really fun night, but also a, a wonderful way to showcase local artists um, and local storytellers. Absolutely. So I wanna I wanna go back in the theatrical Mustang time machine in term and sort of focus on your journey to being a theater maker. Was there a moment when you were when you were in school where you had an experience with theater that was just the hook for you that you realized this is this is something I might want to do as a career? Um, there there was a a specific moment like in the month before I went to college where I decided I wanted to be an artist for a living, um, which is sort of a scary moment because you have to realize the realities <laughs> of what that means. Right. <laughs> um, but my journey started way before that. Um, I grew up here in Denver. I'm sixth generation Denverite, so my family roots are very deep here. And when I was four years old, my parents enrolled me in theater classes at the Jewish Community Center by my house. And I did stuff there from age four to age 17. Um, they've got a great program that's still there called the Wolf Theater Academy, where they have professional artists directing shows starring kids. And they do it on their main stage, and it's a full production. And I did 20-some main stage productions there through my childhood. Um, and I really learned from a lot of local artists who are still in Denver now, Steve Wilson, um, who's the artistic director of the Mizell Arts and Culture Center, still runs it. He's been my mentor and was my favorite director to work with growing up. I also loved working with Nick Sugar, who still does a ton of work around town, Donna Debrusini. And so I got to know all of these local theater artists, but also learn from them in a student-focused but still professional setting, meaning they treated us professionally and, and we learned by doing. And so that really sparked my passion for theater. I also, in high school, middle school, got into 
filmmaking and started doing that. And, and as I was going to college and learned that there was going to be a filmmaking program, um, I decided I wanted to major in that. And my, my real goal was to do filmmaking and video for theater. Um, I love the live audience interaction and there's something about and I love making movies and and I wanted to combine them in a way where you get the energy from the audience because when you're making a movie and showing it in a movie theater you don't have that same live exchange and so I was able to tailor my major in um, visual and environmental studies at Harvard to being performance based and did a crazy thesis called Username Faust that was all about internet celebrity and a a retelling of the Faust legend where this woman sells her soul to have the most popular YouTube video of all time. (laughs) Uh, This was in 2008 when YouTube was like a year old and, you know, Charlie bit my finger was was all the rage. So I was sort of exploring that. and, And in that project, I was really interested in how you can use technology to expand the theatrical experience because in this show, which was about the internet, all of the videos you saw her create on stage were put on YouTube and you could interact them um, on the internet, on YouTube. And I realized that that was both the show and the marketing of the show because you could happen upon that and wonder what it is and that might inspire you to see the show. And so I started thinking about ways that technology could expand the theatrical moment um, in a way that doesn't replace it but actually makes it more important. And I was lucky enough around that time to get introduced to Dan Ritchie and Kent Thompson and Randy Weeks, who are the leadership of the Denver Center. And I told them about what I was doing and my interest in kind of exploring how multimedia video intersect with theater. Kent was really interested in that because there he was growing a new play development um, priority here at the Denver Center, and more and more playwrights were writing with video elements sure. in you know in mind. And the DCPA at the time didn't really have the staff or the expertise to implement that. And so I pitched this idea of like, let's let me be your resident video designer. Let's create a multimedia lab where we can experiment with this these ideas and test them out before we put them into a production so that we know that they can work. Um, he was crazy enough to say yes (laughs) and so right out of college I was offered my dream job at the organization where I grew up seeing shows to help kind of pave the way in this new form within theater Um, so that's sort of what got me here and a year after I came Emily Tarquin came and she and I really hit it off And she said, hey, what's happening with that Jones Theater? It's empty. And I said, I want to turn it into a multimedia lab. And she said, I want to do crazy programming out of it. And Kent said, I want to bring more young people to the theater. And those are all the inspiration that brought Off Center. We we were lucky enough to get a grant called the Innovation Lab for the Performing Arts that supported the development of our ideas. Um, And we just started experimenting. And the DCPA leadership and board gave us the resources to get it started and it just sort of took off from there so at off center's roots is this idea of being a theatrical testing center 
um, we pretty quickly broadened it beyond technology to be about audience engagement, which was a lot of what I was thinking about. Um, and we've experimented with technology along the way, but it's become clear that technology only was just too narrow and we wanted off-center to be broader than that. And so, and then about five years ago, we said immersive is the next big thing in theater and off-center should be the place where the Denver Center is experimenting with immersive work and building our organization's capacity to produce that work. And um, after our own mini experiments in audience engagement and in more experiential theater, we were lucky enough to get some major funding from the Wallace Foundation to support our first big large-scale immersive project. Um, we commissioned Third Rail Projects out of New York. It turns out their, one of their artistic directors, Zach Morris, grew up in Denver and interned at the Denver Center. Huh? Um, <clears throat> and Zach and Third Rail created what became Sweet and Lucky that we produced in a 16,000-square-foot warehouse in Rhino in 2016. And that's really what put Off Center on the map, I think, in a major way. We, we had done a number of, uh, a lot of projects to that point, but nothing of that scale. And we really used Sweet and Lucky as an opportunity to introduce Off Center and this line of programming to a broader Denver audience. And since then, we've just continued to move in the immersive and experiential direction. We did a um, adventure comedy through the public spaces of Stanley Marketplace that was created by the local comedy trio ACE. And that show was called Travelers of the Lost Dimension. It was very silly and a lot of fun. And then this past fall, um, we created a 360-degree version of The Wild Party, which is a Broadway musical originally conceived of for a traditional proscenium theater. And we busted it out of the theater and put it into this crazy bohemian apartment that we built. And the show happened all around you. Um, and that was a really exciting project. And now we're also working down the line on um, some other large-scale immersive work and continuing to build a pipeline for that so that we can keep offering it because there seems to be a great hunger for this art form in Denver and we're lucky enough to have the resources um, to be able to do it at a really high level. So I feel so I feel so lucky about that and, and personally just so grateful for the journey that I've been on and for the opportunities that I've had here at the Denver Center. It's, it's really rare. Um, both in the video design work that I did for eight years before moving full-time into the artistic department and and now, you know, leading off-center. It's just so awesome to have this opportunity and to be able to collaborate with all of the incredible artists that we've had the chance to work with and to bring new artistic experiences to Denver. Um, I, I take that job very seriously and, mm. and it's an incredible pleasure and so much fun. Absolutely. Well, I saw a wild party and I had a, it was a hoot nanny of a time. I just, I, I, I messaged Amanda Berg Wilson after I have no idea how she put that all together in her head, but I just, every corner of that space was activated and it was just, it was interesting to see theater folk there. And then people who maybe just came because they're not theater folk, but the spectacle of it all, 
Um, why do you think that Sweet and Lucky was that jumping off point? What is it in the culture right now that immersive is so enticing or, or audiences are so hungry for it, in your opinion? Um, well, I, I think fundamentally, immersive provides us with a unique human experience and in our increasingly mediated world, people crave authentic human experiences. Um, immersive and experiential theater, I think, can take you out of your reality in a way that's really exciting and make you feel something and surprise you. You know, one of the things that our audiences have told us a lot is that what attracts them to this work is that it's unexpected. And, you know, when with Sweet and Lucky, you walked into this antique store and then you were handed an umbrella and you were taken into a huge graveyard where it was raining on you and you attended a funeral. And like that level of surprise and the surprises that continued when you went from room to room to room, discovering different things and interacting dif- with different characters. It's, it's hard to find something like that. Right. Um, and it is both escape, but also kind of affirmation of our human condition and uh you know i think a theater any theater at its best should provide that but immersive puts the audience at the center of the experience and gives them a role in the story in a way that can be very very powerful um i think another thing that is is that people are looking for different types of artistic experiences and cultural experiences where they can be a more active participant where it is more social, perhaps. And that's certainly, you know, what we've found about millennials and younger people, but it also holds true to older audiences. You know, our audiences are are largely younger, but not exclusively. And that's always been how it has happened at Off Center, and it's our goal. We're not trying to exclude anyone, but we're trying to cater more towards the tastes of more adventurous and younger people and and there happen to be adventurous people of every generation. So <laughs> I think that those are the main things that attract people to this work. Um, and it's it's just thrilling to be able to create it and be a part of it. Absolutely. You talked a little bit when you're, when you're talking about the development of Sweet and Lucky about that sort of having that knowing of what the next trend in theater would be or that you know something of that nature how how do you as a theater maker sort of listen for what might be coming down next in terms of where theater is going it's a good question i don't know if i have a good answer (laughs) um i mean for when it came to immersive i saw sleep no more which a lot of people who are in this work now sort of can trace it back to sleep no more because it was the first you know capital i immersive piece in America that was really visible on a large scale. Um, So I saw Sleep No More and said, like, I want to be doing that. Um, And it was clear that that was starting to bubble up in in theater. Um, I, I pay attention to a lot of the companies, the kind of more experimental companies in New York, um, a couple in Chicago, and actually sprinkled all over the country. And and I've always tried to have my finger on the pulse of that type of work. Um, in terms of the next thing, I think that's my big question because I feel like Off Center has arrived at Immersive and we're going to keep doing it. But it's part of our mission 
to keep exploring the next thing. And so I want to identify what the next big thing is and start to build us towards creating that. Um, my hunch is that community engaged or community collaborative work mm. is the next thing. There's a lot of exciting examples of it happening around the country from um, public works, the model that the public theater has created right. where they create a performance of a Shakespeare in the park with 200 members of the community performing in it um, to some more devised work, you know, and even local theater in Boulder did a, a workshop of a piece last year, took place in a hospital that was sort of a similar model. Right. Cornerstone Theater has done a lot of this work over the years. And so I'm interested in how a, a big institution like the Denver Center can, uh, you know, create work in that space and engage with our community really authentically and artistically. I'm not sure if that's what we will decide is the next thing, but that's sort of the leading candidate as far as I'm concerned. And um, we have a new artistic director, Chris Coleman, who's yeah, coming from Portland. Thank you. We're super excited. He's working on planning a season. He's wrapping up his time in Portland and will be with us full time in May. So I'm really excited when he gets here and is able to kind of get his bearings that we can start that conversation about what is the next thing and how is off center helping experiment to get us there. Absolutely. We've come to the time of the podcast where it's uh, advice for artists listening to our conversation. Uh, you have such a rich history and sort of amplifying the voices of other artists. And so I'm sure you have a lot of data about what works, what doesn't for those of, for those listeners who want to make new work, who are really plugged into the conversation we've been having, what advice do you have to offer them? Um, I have a couple of pieces of advice. I think my first, uh, my first one is, is just be open to everything. Um, you never know what is going to inspire you or what is going to spark on your next collaboration. And related to that is focus on relationships. The world is you know based on relationships functions by relationships and i think theater and arts in particular um depend on them and you never know who your next collaborator is going to be or who you're going to meet who's going to lead to an opportunity for your next project and so you know it's important to cultivate relationships and build them um and and those will lead to opportunities but also just being open to, you know, whatever might inspire the next thing or whoever you might meet. You know, um, I met a Lyft driver the other day who um, we got talking and like may end up being a collaborator one day. So um, <laughs> you just never know where it's going to come. And I think right. going through the world, being open to what presents itself is uh, is an important piece of that. Um, secondly, and, and this has been central to my work and to my whole philosophy, is experiment and take risks and try new things. And don't always take risks that are, you know, jumping off the cliff with a parachute that you've never tried out and hoping that it opens. But instead, like, jump off four feet where if you fall, you're not going to get hurt and, <laughs> and see if the parachute works that way and then improve it and... You know, I'm a huge fan of design thinking or human-centered design, and that um, philosophy is really all about experimentation and prototyping, and I think that totally applies to the arts, and we should 
be more, you know, experimental in what we do and, and not just, you know, I think the theatrical equivalent is a workshop or, an, you know, a new right. play reading um, or even just getting people in a room and, and trying something on its feet. There are so many ways to experiment and to get feedback that you can then use to improve what you're doing. And I think that that is part of our artistic DNA, but we can even be more deliberate about how to do that effectively and how to use it to continually improve and grow our work. And then I think my final piece of advice is to follow your passion. If you don't love what you do as an artist, then what are you doing? Um, and, and I think the key to being successful um, whatever success may mean is to find, well, I would define it as the intersection of your passion and your skills. And if you can find what you love and what you're good at and find a place where you can do both of those things, that is the key to being, I think, successful and happy. Um, sometimes I think that requires a lot of self-awareness and introspection to know what you're good at. Mm. And it's, it can be painful when you realize that what you love is not necessarily what you're good at, but that may lead you to another discovery of something that you love that you are good at. And so I think being honest with yourself and really always seeking, um, the intersection of your passion um, and your skills is is a key to success, as I would define it. Um, and and also, you know, I've never had a, a goal of like this is where I want to be in five years. Right. But I've known enough about what drives me and what kinds of things I want to be doing and how I want to be making a difference in the community and in the world. And so I've been able to tell at every decision whether that's the right path or not. But you couldn't, even if you ask me now what I want to do in five years, I couldn't answer that. But I could say, as long as it satisfies these things, I think I would be happy in that. And so I think knowing yourself and knowing your own values and what drives you so that you can identify whether an opportunity is the right one for you, I think that is much more um, important and will lead you to be fulfilled than saying, in five years, I want to have my own theater company, or in five years, I right. want to be X, Y, or Z. Absolutely. At this moment in time as we're recording, what would you say is your greatest passion and your greatest skill set? Um, I th That's a great question. I think that my greatest passion is bringing people together around art. And that, for me, means bringing audience together around art and bringing art artists together around art. And I love what I call creative matchmaking and mm. you know, bringing different artists together who maybe didn't know each other to see what they can create together. Um, and so that's really my focus and my passion. And I think I'm, get, I'm pretty good at that. I, I'm always learning about how to guide artists and create the space for them to be successful in their work but also be successful inside of the theater machine that is the Denver Center. <laughs> um, and I'm always learning about how to create the space for audiences to be successful inside of a work. And especially when you're doing this type of work, I think every audience experience is different. And so you have to be really thoughtful about how you bring people into that. 
so that they can interact appropriately with the material. Um, so I, that, those are my biggest passions and I think are growing skills of mine, but, um, you know, it's, it's always a learning process and, and that's, what's so fun about theater is like you finish a show, you learn from it and then you get to do it all over again and apply what you've learned to the next thing and continue growing in as an individual and continuing growing as, as an organization in how we make this work and, and how we bring it to people and how we engage people in it. Absolutely. Well, we're wrapping up our time together, folks. We're going to have in the episode description the links to DCPA, Offset our website, where you can apply for the micro theater uh, project that's happening in the fall. Thank you so much, Charlie, for sitting down and talking with me. Thank you. This is awesome. Yay! Great.